0: Hi, welcome to Stammer Stories. My name is William Levin, and I'm the host and founder of this podcast. In this podcast we talk about stammering from all perspectives. I've been talking to people who stammer, people who work in the stammering field, but also people who just have a general interest in the topic and don't stammer. So today's guest is actually one of my fellow TEDx speakers at the TEDx University of Surrey refresh event. And I remember Nina gave me, a, gave me lots of reassurance during my talk. couldn't see her happy, smiley face felt like, my speech. But also, listening to her speech, which we'll talk about more, she said some really in- inspiring quotes. And even though she doesn't stammer, lots of the stuff that she said, but also the journey that she's been through as well, lots of the listeners will be able to relate to but also be able to take away. So joining me from Australia, Nina, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: So can you just introduce yourself and tell me what you do for a living?
1: Yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Nina Concepcion. I am a conscious sales coach, a mentor, a speaker, um, an author, and I predominantly niche in my business, supporting coaches in building their business from zero to multiple six figures. Um, however, I also support entrepreneurs in being able to have more confidence in making conscious, ethical sales. And my book's coming out, which is a bit of a personal development book.
0: That is absolutely amazing. And Nina's beef, which I'll, which I'll include here in the bio of the episode. And were you nervous
1: oh yeah sorry I cannot so nervous. tell I cannot tell I cannot
0: tell like you were nervous asshole. like literally you owned it. it was like and then Nina was getting the sweet hall was quite a hot venue but also the air was getting quite dry but but Nina was doing a fruit pastel supply if you're out of a day, which is a very good, and I had fruit pastels in ages, and Nina popped out <laughs> with fruit pastels, and they helped. So as you don't stammer, or in Australia, it could be stutter, what do you know about the topic?
1: I know that it's a, a speech impediment, and I know that uh, for people who do have it, they need to go through therapy to be able to train their mouth um, in a way that um most people just don't need to think about that they need to have some support around how to put their words together just that little bit more and the thing is I think that to some degree everybody stutters like even though I don't say that I have them say even though I don't say that I stammer or that I stutter I still often do it yeah and I I think that it's a normal part of speaking. I think it's like saying, um, or I think it's like when we lose our train of thought halfway through a sentence and then we completely change what we're talking about. And if someone was to read that, it didn't make sense. So I think that it's just another way that people share share their voice. I don't, I don't see it as any different as some people are taller and shorter than others.
0: That's absolutely fascinating you say and anyway. we you'd be surprised by the amount of people who do see it as something different but also how they see it as a bad thing but I so I speak to a few people who stammer like from a podcast and like there's a sort of community and I've had some quite scary things said to me because of their stammer they go I find it really tough I've not been able to get a job for six years because of my stammer because every job that I've been applying to needed fluency but I thought do we know what the, what fluency really is? And like what's the definition of 100% fluency? And and it's fascinating that you say that as you don't stammer, because that's actually something that a person with a stammer would say. And because we're just used to it, but have you come across many people like with your clients? Or have you noticed, any, like your friends or family, if they have a stammer? <laughs>
1: Um, there was someone who I used to work with in real estate and he he did quite well in real estate and he had a stutter. Uh, I also, one of my best friends used to also have a, have a really bad lisp. So she's had to learn and she got some help with um, getting rid of the lisp, but, but sometimes it's still like you can hear it a little bit. Uh, and so that's been my biggest exposure to anybody with a, a stammer or a stutter.
0: Oh, and it, 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 is it spoken about in Australia? Like, do you sometimes see, like, representation of it? Like, even in the news, or like, now over here, like, for the UK, it's now becoming more and more spoken about. It, it, how how, spoke, how much spoken about it is it in, like, Australia?
1: So the way that I look at stammering is similar to how, in Australia, it's really, really multicultural. Like I, I think that Australia is one of the most multicultural places that you'll ever be to or you'll, where people will ever go. And it still astounds me that there's still racism in the world. Like I, I don't understand it. And so I think in Australia, when I've been around someone who does stammer or even when I worked with that person in real estate, it was just never a topic of conversation because it's just another human. Like it wasn't a big deal. And so the fact that um, you said that it's not something that's really spoken about, it seems that in certain areas, it's, it's almost like a bit of an elephant in the room. And that speaking out about it is actually really empowering because people are actually pointing it out. But I think when people can remember that we're all human and we all, not that it's a mistake, but we all make mistakes, we're all perfectly imperfect, then we stop judging each other for, oh, that makes you different. There's always something that makes every single person different. And so when I've met someone with a starter, I, I just, it's not really a big deal for me. I'm like, oh, there's another human.
0: It's so, it's sort of so reassuring to help So one of the biggest things why I wanted to do with TEDx, so one of the biggest messages that I wanted to get get across for so to destigmatize the subject so it's not really the way that it's spoken about it's more about pity or more like oh bless Mm -hmm. I'll poor you like oh maybe I don't think that's the best route for you but actually it's your voice why why should you be hiding your voice as it as your voice Mm -hmm. makes you unique and it makes you as a unique person which I find But also, like, lots of people think that they're helping by finishing our sentences, like finishing our words for us. But actually, that's one of the worst things that you could do for someone with a stammer because it actually makes our stammer more. And you don't want that. If you're trying to hurry us up, you're basically making it longer. But also, you just don't really, like, one of the biggest quotes I said was, like, would you tell an elderly person to hurry up crossing the road? No. So why would you finish someone's (laughs) sentences?
1: I love that you gave that insight during your TED talk because for someone who doesn't stutter or doesn't stammer, it's not something I would even think about. And there are times that I go to finish someone's sentences and they're someone who doesn't stutter or someone who doesn't stammer. So to really have that awareness that next time I do meet someone who stammers, to really have the awareness that it's not something that they like or not something that comes across very nice is something that I'm so glad that you've taught me.
0: Well, well thank you. No, I think this is one of those things like, I don't think people mean to do it. And, and I was talking to another guest where, when you think about like growing up, like, I, I got bullied growing up like kids. We all know how direct kids are. And i like, people go, what's wrong with your voice? Why can't you say your own name? And it's like, yeah, or like I, I had a situation in London actually a few years ago where I, I tell the story every episode, but it's a great story. And <laughs> it, so I was lost in like Baker Street tube station, which is a huge, huge tube station I went to ask for help and they went, go over there. You need to go to that platform over there. I was like, oh, okay. And then went back being very British going, I'm so sorry, I'm not sure what you mean by that. And he, because I was quite nervous, I was running late for my meeting. My stammer was quite bad. He rolled his eyes when I stammered and then he told me to F off. And this was a TFL tube worker. And I tried to make a complaint Nothing. Nothing came off it. And that was one of the biggest things that woke me up. I was like, okay, there's still some stuff that needs to be done. Yeah, but also, how much is it spoken spoke about in training? But I'd love to now talk to you about your your job and what you do. Can you just explain what you do and tell us a bit more in further detail?
1: Yeah, so I predominantly shift the mindset of entrepreneurs from being scared of sales, being scared of money, being scared of following up leads and having a conversation about what it is that they do and the service that they provide to being up to being actually able to have heart centered offers that they're able to communicate with their audience, they're able to hop on sales calls, they're able to follow people up and they're able to make conscious sales that feel really good and really exciting that are in alignment with their values and who they are. Because something that I covered during my TED talk is that a lot of people don't like sales because of what they identify they need to be in order to be good in sales. But we can actually be good in sales and still be heart-centered and still be in our integrity and still deeply care about who that person is. And if anything, I think that's the only way to sell. I think that's the only way to buy. We want to be able to feel good about who we're connected with and a business relationship somewhere where we invest or somewhere where someone invests in what we have to offer. I don't think is any different.
0: Plus, I feel like people feel like we need to be like this, the sales sort of, not stereotype, I mean, but actually the, is the best type of sales are the people you can connect with and like in more. And like you always notice it way more. And like buying a car, like, by just buying like a new phone in like the shop, you always notice. You feel more comfortable like doing the sale with someone who's passionate about the job, but also you feel like you can relate to them on an like mm. a everyday sort of level. And they go, Oh no, I don't think this could be the best option. But I've done lots of travelling in this car. And I think this is the best route. And you sort of feel about. I think you also feel better in yourself as well. Like I think you feel like you're actually. Giving your, your true potential and like you're giving like your top advice and how how did you get to where you are like what sort of been your journey to to where to where you are now?
1: Yes, so I was always I was also bullied growing up. Um, even though Australia is quite multicultural, when I was younger, um, there weren't many Asians. So the school that I went to, I was like I was called fish lips. So it was called, uh, people would say that I'd have a flat nose. Um, like I w- I was bullied growing up as well. But leading into high school, I was always that weird person that asked questions about life. I was always the one saying, but what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of this? Why are we doing this? And I think through my curiosity, when, as I got older, I wanted to find something more in my life. I didn't believe in just going to university, getting a degree, finding a job and dying. I remember thinking there has to be more to life than this. And in between my double degree of exercise physiology at university, I wasn't passionate about it at all. But I remember during my three month uni break, I I applied for every single real estate job. no, every single real estate company in my area for a receptionist as a receptionist, because I'm such a people person. I love admin. Um, I'm, I'm quite organized and I was always interested in property. So I thought, why not learn during my uni break? Why don't I learn something? And long story short, I applied for a three month reception role and they offered me a 12 month sales role. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is not what I asked for. Um, and it's funny because I was like, universe, what do I do? And the universe is like, here you go. I'm like, this is not what I asked for. And so I decided to defer my second degree at university. And through real estate, I found personal development. Um, my mentor was such a big um, support for me because he's someone who is very much in his own values and introduced me to personal development. So Going through that process of being mentored and being in real estate with all my insecurities of being a young Asian, of having a list with my braces and and all of the other insecurities that I had going on, to to finally start making commissions during my third quarter really started to show me that I didn't have to be what I thought I needed to be to be good in real estate. I didn't have to lie. I didn't need to manipulate. I didn't need to sacrifice my own values. I didn't need to be an annoying, manipulative, sleazy salesperson to make an impact. And that was the catalyst for me with, wow, sales can actually be really cool and feel really good. And you can actually get rewarded for being able to share who you are. And as I as I became more successful in real estate, um, I bought my own place at 21, I moved out of home. I started to train all the new staff coming in and I went to a personal development event and I met Brendan Burchard. And that event completely changed my life because I got an instant hit like literally an instant download of, oh my gosh, I'm here to share my message. I'm here to share the things I've learned in my life. And I saw that I was gonna be a coach, a mentor and a speaker. And that was a decade ago now. So I, I ended up going back to real estate after that event. And I thought I'm on track to being financially free. I've got my plan in five years time when I've opened up my second office and I've bought my second and third property, I will have the time, I will have the money to go and pursue my dream of being a coach. But that five year plan became two weeks because I went back to real estate and I literally felt like I was dying inside. I know how dramatic it sounds, but it's literally how it felt inside. And I I just knew I had more to do in my life and I didn't want to waste my life, even if I was still young. I was like 21. And so I left real estate and I I started coaching, I kind of organically fell into coaching, people started seeing me post on social media that I was traveling, I bought my own house, I was doing well in real estate and people started asking me for my advice. So I became a life coach and then I was really struggling, (laughs) like I wasn't doing, um, I wasn't making a full-time income in my business and then I started to focus on business coaching and over the last two to three years, I've really niched in sales coaching. And so that was, yeah, a decade ago that I started coaching.
0: Wow, wow that's so inspiring. And I think it just shows, like, how is it's just, you need to, like, no matter what you're going through, like, what job you're in, the key thing is just giving you your self-confidence. And I think the more you believe in yourself, everything will be different. And I think the more you doubt yourself, but also the more you doubt, sort of, so if you're in not the right industry or, or the more if you doubt, oh, I don't think I'm suited for this. Like so many people, are like should you be doing public speaking? I was like, yeah, because I know I'm not meant to be doing it. Like it's that sort of that that sort of thing of like. But actually, it gives me like a boost and a dreading adrenaline. Yeah. Like I've been in my job for nearly three and a half years, which is great in your know, media. And when I was like doing different internships. My heart just wasn't really set. Like, I was like, yeah. mm, I'm not sure. And, like, especially like job interviews were a nightmare, like with my stammer and like having like dyslexia and everything. Like, whenever they used to get me to do a group test, it was like, I oh, know I'm not getting this job now. And, like, but I think that when I got this I just knew straight away about things. And I think it's also like key to network. Like, I think yeah. the more you build like your networking base, the more you surround yourself with like minded people because that's so i didn't go to uni i did the new apprenticeship program and i was part of the I mean, science so a community ambassador for multiverse the apprenticeship provider uh, we used to go to school at different schools events to talk about apprenticeships like and it was really weird how like, people are like so are you sure you should be doing this it's like yeah because i i feel like i need it to give me myself that self-confidence because but also this is sort of my way to like sell apprentices but also prove to myself that actually you can, you're capable of doing this and it was like, after one or two I thought you know what I really enjoy this and like from the more and more that I was doing more and more came out of it and like, I went from a quite shy, quite person to now someone who doesn't stop talking and like <laughs> but now does I? Like, if it wasn't for that I definitely would have, have done with TEDx as well because like mm you need to give yourself that niche to sort of give your visions also your own like turbo boost your own niches so are your turbo boost so we spoke about when so before we started recording the episode,
1: <laughs> I, your question. Uh, so.
0: yeah <laughs> what was that question
1: so my question for you was what made you decide to start the podcast this podcast in the first place
0: so I was trying to explain to Nina hello. During the pandemic, like I realised that Stammer wasn't spoken about. And I realised that there wasn't a platform as such, like people with a Stammer to sort of prove to themselves that like they're doing amazing stuff, but also help others out. There wasn't, rather than like Twitter, like the old Facebook group, there wasn't a platform where people could go, so I want to hear a inspiring person's story who stammers in media, or I want to hear someone who doesn't stammer in pr but want to hear people's perspective or i want to know no like, so and i thought actually people don't really like watching videos now like he's sort of the attention span but people like li- listening to audio and i like, i thought actually a podcast would be a great way for me to sort of Toward people who stammer, people who don't work in the field so you can sort of learn about a topic, but also people who don't stammer, like yourself, to sort of give reassurance to people who stammer that actually people who don't stammer don't really care, and it's like getting that sort of <laughs> proving to them. It's like you'd be surprised for like how many people think that people who don't stammer care massively about your stomach but actually they don't but also on
1: mm.
0: so that's when I started like stammer stories I sort of knew my message and then I started reaching out to like, different guests but I'm just trying to be like very conscious about like who I have on like now I'm at a stage of like what other stories do happens by others and like will there be relatable to my listeners and it's basically since then it's been a crazy journey like we've been we've grown into like 50 countries but actually they' what well, I find really interesting how like most of those countries are actually are, like underdeveloped countries so it's not like African countries and it's not because they don't have a resources so actually this is but also, it gave it's given me like a platform to prove myself. I've met mm. so many new people, and I I've had like, do you watch TikTok?
1: A little bit. <laughs> okay. Have you
0: heard of Mimi Darling Beauty? She's uh, no. you, you may not have come across, but she's basically this TikToker who's damn and she goes through like the drive-through. Like there was mm. one video of hers that went viral, and it has over 45 million views on it wow and, and literally visit the topics now become who's so I had her on that like we did a few content
1: oh but, amazing
0: which is just amazing but I think the key thing is just to hear everyone's stories to so feel like you're not alone but also just to give yourself mm. the inspiringness mm. yeah
1: that's very beautiful Thank I love you. that I love that you but you have used this platform to be able to inspire people to remind them that they're not alone because we're not regardless of what we're feeling insecure about or what we haven't learned to yet love about ourselves or uh, whatever it is about us that some people don't like. Like I have an incredibly loud laugh. Like people describe my laugh as like a witch cackle. So when I crack up laughing, I'm really loud. That when I'm in public, people look at me. And I used to be really insecure about it because like when something is funny, like I am loud. And people used to be like, oh my gosh, it's so loud. And uh, it's funny because I started to realize other people in my life in my life saying, Oh, I bloody love your laugh. Like I hey, love uh, your laugh. Love. I absolutely love the good
0: laugh. I absolutely love the <laughs> good laugh.
1: Yeah. And I think it's about remembering that we're not alone. We I think Brenda Bashad says this whenever we think we're alone, it's really hard to get out of it because yeah. How can anyone understand if we're the only one that we think has ever gone through that? But when we realize we're not alone and someone else in the world has gone through what you are going through, we realize that we can get through it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the biggest reasons, like my CEO said to me, and I'll never forget it. You know how like sometimes people say something to you, who you work with and like you just always remember that. She, she's like, so it's, always, so it's always more important and more and more you soak it in more when someone shares their own story than someone else telling yeah. their story
1: yeah. and
0: that's one of the things I feel like when I've taught spoken to like people so I'm part of the Nepal Stamming Association and it's like I know I'm not a medical professional I know I'm not a like a coach but I am a real life experience with someone what's going through like you're going through it and like there may be situations that I can help you with but also I know that I've had the training to help me and you may not have that resources I can offer you what I've been taught and their mindset sort of just clicked straight away and like mm-hmm. and, and I think it sort of links into my next question but like lots of people think there's a cure so the amount of people who said how can, how can you cure my stomach?" I'm like oh crikey, that's a big <laughs> that, that's a very strong DM but it's like it's never going to go away so it's like start trying to find like a way to cure it and just embrace it it's like, and while you change your positive mindset so as you talk to people um, so as you talk to lots of people for your job like in internationally in Australia, lots of people who a stomach may actually want to go into sales, but they are afraid of like a fast-paced environment of like talking to you and like having it every day, like speaking to someone. What advice would you have for people who are afraid to sort of see how it would react?
1: Mm. One of the great things about sales is every single product and service needs to be sold. Yeah. So salespeople are one of the highest needed occupations and is also one of the highest turnover of staff occupations roles in the world because you come up against rejection. Um, people don't like to get no's. People make it about them. So it's, it's very well known that sales roles have a very high turnover of staff. So if you are wanting to go into sales, whether it's to build your confidence whether it's because you'd you'd love to practice your communication or it's literally something that you're really curious about would love to learn about but you have some insecurities around i would first and foremost encourage you to find an organization that you already believe in find a product or a service that you already believe in because one of the things that i talk about is we in our integrity cannot offer something to someone to buy if we don't truly believe that it can help that person so if you do not first and foremost believe in the product or the service then i don't think that we should be selling it so go and find something that you do believe in go and find something that you're already a fan of and approach them and say uh, i'd love to know if you have any sales roles available honestly most people will say yes because they understand that there's a higher turnover Uh, And that would be the recommendation that, um, that I would say. And then the other piece of that is ideally find somewhere that gives you training. And a lot of sales roles do provide training because most people don't have much sales experience. The only thing that I would say is just be discerning and trust your intuition because the majority of people do teach traditional sales, which is very much pushy. It's very much get them to say yes and do whatever it takes. And that's not what conscious sales is all about. And so I'll just share the definition of conscious sales. I have a slightly longer definition that I shared on my TED Talk because TED Talk needs to be a lot more concise, but this is my definition of conscious sales that I've created. Conscious sales is a heart-centered, integrity-driven approach to sales that empowers the individual to invest into themselves when it's in alignment with their own values that also means as the service provider as the salesperson do you believe in the product do you believe in the service so find that first and foremost and then find the place where you can experience and practice that skill set but also get the education that you need to be able to harness that skill at the same time And um, William, I'm not sure if, are you happy for me to just share a little bit about one of my courses? Yeah, that's actually fun. Yeah. So I actually do have a sales course available for all entrepreneurs and I'm happy to give a a discount for anybody who comes through this podcast. So if anyone comes through this podcast, just say William Lavin's Stammer Stories podcast. Um, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, Nina, The Naked Coach, because my book is called The Naked You and it's about embracing your imperfections. Um, But if you're curious to know about the course, then I'm happy to give you guys um, a William discount Um, because I I just know that there's so much um, training out there but it doesn't integrate who we are as a person and wanting to come from a heart-centered place. Um, But something that I say, and I said it on the Ted talk is action precedes confidence. So it's one of my, my quotes, you need to learn to do something and you need to put yourself in a situation and you need to practice it in order to become confident. We don't become confident by thinking about it constantly we become confident by practicing and by implementing and exercising that muscle of whatever it is that we'd like to get better at
0: well and so, so, so this draws me back to being like how inspired I was like just listening to like you oh. all but I think it's just so key like just be yourself and like when you're passionate about something you can just tell the differences when like someone's passionate about their job compared to someone who's maybe passionate about their role but they may not be passionate about what they're trying to sell or like what they're trying to so then I, mean, I think even oh they can't notice that actually you can and like you can nothing is better than a like a salesman like a salesperson who's actually passionate and like they yeah. and being able to relate to you and but also we will share like the course this course on our social medias as well and I live like, a discount as well so thank you very much for that and for next question asks, so I realise that I worded this quite directly and it's not what I try to mean come across um, so sadly like we spoke about the topic isn't like the thing around it is not that good and one of the things is, is it's like in the everyday situation like when someone goes up to ask for help in like a shop and they struggle like with a stammer or like evasive members of staff like behind the shop counter, sort of rolling their eyes or anything. If you came across that situation, just out of curiosity, what mm. would you do in that situation?
1: It's interesting because I was thinking about this when you were sharing me your story. It was at the subway. Yeah, in the subway, and I. Uh, I think that regardless of if you have a stomach, regardless of how old you are, regardless of what you look like, regardless of where you are in the world, we are always, sometime or another, going to come across someone who's rude. And it could just be that they're having a bad day. And so... When I come across, and you know, I still come across those people like they're rolling their eyes yeah. and they just don't want to be there. Like me and my partner, really appreciate good service. Like we like to go to cafes, we like to go to restaurants, and so when someone's like not even smiling, we're just like, my goodness, like they're so serious. And um, one of the things that I've thought about as those, as I experience those things, is remembering that they're probably having a crappy day. They're probably unhappy about something maybe they've gotten some bad news so rather than making it about me rather than me thinking is there something wrong with me is there something that they don't like it could literally be nothing about me and regardless of whether I'm right or I'm wrong about that maybe they don't like me maybe I said something to them yesterday that they really didn't like maybe but how I choose to see it will dictate my perspective and will dictate how I feel in that moment. So I trust that if someone doesn't like what I have to say and they don't like me, cool. Like it's all good. But if somebody wants to tell me that I upset them, okay, cool. Like happy for them to tell me. But if they haven't directly said to me um, that I've done something to hurt them, I'm just going to assume that when anyone is in a crappy mood, it is not my fault. Like I didn't do anything. They're just in a crappy mood. And regardless of who I am, regardless of how I show up they're going to just not like me in this moment and so that's my perspective when I come across somebody who's grumpy
0: and if you witnessed like after, so when I had my situation in like the tube I was because I was quite distressed like quite embarrassed no one came up to me after like no one surrounded. run mm-hmm. like so there was a cube like people hell, and then no one came up to me and so if you saw them happen who was quite meaning that person and you saw if they were quite distant would you go up to the person and see if they were okay if you if you had like witnessed it
1: yeah i'm the t- i'm the type of person who i know how much i appreciate when someone does that for me yeah and uh, i know how much of a big difference it can make and how much how little it is to give like yeah. for you to take a moment to stop and to see if that person's okay Takes a couple minutes and could mean the absolute world to that person. Yeah. Um, I remember when we just got back to Australia, we because we um, our, our lease was ending and we needed to find a new home, and we were staying at an Airbnb. And me and my partner went for a walk with our little girl, and she was in the pram. And I remember we got to a set of lights, and we were we were just we were still walking, and the set of lights next to us went green for the pedestrians to walk. And there was a a lady, she was probably in her 50s, late 40s, walking um, a a bigger dog. And um, the dog like tried to run and she just face planted it straight onto the, in the middle of the road. And uh, she was a bit disheveled and didn't know what to do. And then she was swearing at the dog and me and my partner were like, oh my gosh. And so like he put the brakes on he was he was pushing the pram so I, like I walked over and I was like oh my gosh are you okay like we tried to get her off the road my partner put the brakes on the pram and then came over and picked her up and I got the dog and then we ended up pretty much walking her home because like her oh, wow. head was bleeding and she's like thank you so much We're like it's fine like it's all good mm-hmm. there was even someone in the car who pulled over and was like are you guys okay like do you need anything And I just think it makes such a difference for the other person. Like there's, there's been situations where like, I know I've been in situations that weren't very nice. And I just thought, I can't believe no one's come up to me to see if I'm okay. Um, But I've also really learned to be okay, even if no one comes up to me. So yeah. In those situations, I, I asked myself, How can I love myself through this? How can I be there for myself the way that I wish someone would be there for me?
0: Yeah, and, and but I do think that if someone came up to me like after it happened, I, I think it just would have like calmed down like the overall situation. And I think the fact that there was a cue, but also people were watching the situation, and then still no one came up to you. But I think now, when, whenever I see someone struggling, I, I, I always say, so you're okay, or, but also I think, I, so I've got some, some of my friends who, who have like struggled with mental health and like, being around them like, widened me up, Like other things as well, so if I, know I can spot someone's a bit down, I like, are you okay, yeah. don't go out for a coffee, or just have that conversation, and I ask this question to every guest, but I don't give you warning about beforehand. When you, <laughs> when you think of someone famous who stammers, who do you think of?
1: I don't know anyone famous who stammers, or maybe I do know. I just haven't noticed.
0: Joe Biden. So Joe Biden, the it, US president.
1: It sounds familiar. So his Joe, name sounds familiar.
0: So the US president, you got Ed, Ed Sheeran, he stammers
1: oh wow Man,
0: and then marilyn monroe she had to stammer which is wow. crazy And look, uh, the person who played Starfader, but i can never remember his name james l mm. jones i'm not sure like, it
1: just shows that it didn't stop them oh exactly right Re- regardless of whether it's a stammer or whether it's someone thinking that they're ugly or thinking that they're too short or not smart enough or not educated enough. We can choose to let those things stop us from making a bigger impact or doing what we want to do. Or if you want to go into sales, go to sales. If you want to go on stage, go on, go and speak on stage. If you want to start a podcast, go and start a podcast. Um, Whether it's a stammer or something else in life, I think it's, and I'm not saying that this is your listeners, but just human behavior in general is it's easy to make excuses it's easy yeah. to say if i didn't have this then i would do it but when you've seen other people still show up and still fulfill their mission even with all of the the insecure, the perceived insecurities that people could use as excuses it really for me really opens me up to think well if they can do it i can do it if they can do it then what why am i making these excuses
0: yeah I absolutely love that. And sort of like, oh, so you spoke about being whole, how did you find your TEDx experience? Like the day, like the day was such a great day and like just meeting so many amazing people.
1: I had such a great time. I, I'm actually really happy that it wasn't in my hometown. Yeah. Um I loved connecting with other people. I loved that. I was in England and I didn't really know anyone. Although one of one of my good friends, Chris Richards, he actually came. Um, oh. he drove he drove to come see me, which was really nice. And one of my good friends who also lived in the UK, she did come. So I did know two people. Um but honestly, the, I thought the team was so amazing. Oh, amazing. They were so friendly. I had such a great experience working with them. I think that the other speakers were lovely. I, you know, I got to connect with you. I loved that we got front row seats as yeah. the other speakers. So we got to sit and watch some of the other speakers. I am um, I really enjoyed the experience. It was really yeah.
0: fun. So did and I. And it, it was a such a great day, but also just something different as well. And I think it, it wasn't until that night when it all sort of clicked in, like every emotion like clicked in, because I think just the adrenaline of like the whole day, mm. and I, I was not sure if you had the same thing, but like when I did the, I was way more nervous like doing my rehearsal to, like, to my team. Like my team run through, I found way more terrifying than doing the actual speed. <laughs> but it was just a really odd thing. Like I, I remember getting to the venue and like, I remember like dropping off my bags saying, and then going back outside to like meet, to greet my friends, and so they were all, like, together in like one group, and then I remember just going backstage, and that sort of bit is a complete blur, and
1: mm. I,
0: I remember getting mic'd up, going to the side of the stage, the only thing I, I cannot tell you for nothing, what the person in front of me was saying, the only thing I could hear was <laughs> was my heartbeat, and, like, the, the only... <laughs> And and literally could have seen the big TEDx letters in the front row. I could see your face, the see, could see your smiling face. And I thought, okay, because you literally can't see past the front row, can you? Like, mm. You almost
1: are. need to squint to see, to see the back.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then my mic wasn't working for the first bit, so I didn't know. So then Zach had to quickly swift on and then take my mic. And it was just, I mean, when I came off stage, you're like, oh, do you want to watch the next speaker? I was like, no, I need to go backstage just <laughs> have a moment just to compose myself and just be like this really, you know how sometimes like you just have to reconfigure yourself and I like, just get mm. you back into the, like it, it just didn't clear. And then when I got home, and it makes me love. Like I had like one or two drinks I'd like, celebrate after. I got back home and the first video that I saw on Instagram was of cold was a cold play concert, and they had given these deaf, these deaf kids like a bass there so they could feel like the music. Oh,
1: amazing, and that just
0: triggered all my emotions off, oh. and it was. But do you remember much before you went onto the stage? Like, did you sort of have that oh. same sort of emotion, or like that blur? Yeah,
1: um, I d- I definitely went in waves. Um, I used to to dance on, like, I used to do acting. I used to um do stage and and perform and dance. And I remember every single time I'm about to dance, like literally I'm jumping on the side because like I'm feeling all the nerves in my body and I'm, I'm feeling all the energy. And I remember just, I was like freaking out on the inside. And I just, I remember standing on the side of the stage when the previous speaker was finishing up um her her speech and I hadn't heard her speech before but obviously I was in my own world but I I didn't know when it was coming up to the end I just knew you know when she claps then oh I'm coming on and I remember just leaning on the table on the side of the stage closing down my eyes and just yeah like nice long deep breaths because otherwise I'm like "Ah!" (laughs) like inside I was like freaking out Center, center myself. I got this. 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 I'm like, you can do it. You can do it. I got this. I got this. I got this. And just center myself, like just remembering um, something that I really kept at the forefront of my mind was success is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. I'm like, and I was thinking, I've done the preparation. I've done the practice. I've practiced this so many times. I've done the lead up. You know, I've been disciplined with practicing it every single day for however long. And just trust myself, go in, trust myself. Even if I forget a little bit, just keep going. And on the actual rehearsal a couple of days before I did forget what I was talking about. And I just found my feet again. And I remember thinking, oh, worst case scenario, that happens. And I actually didn't forget anything during my speech, which is amazing. Um, But the biggest blur for me was the actual talk. I think I was just so going through everything I had practiced but really wanting to feel the audience that I was just focused so much about that moment and being in that moment and finding my flow and being present and then afterwards I'm like oh, I'm done oh, yeah. oh, I'm hungry now let's yeah. eat
0: <laughs> but like I, but I just definitely relate and like when I was like backstage I, oh, I was just like to myself Soak in this moment. So, like, this is a very special moment to be waiting mm. to go onto the TEDx and I like, just soak in that moment. And then it would just be second then it would just be a massive internal scream thinking, What, 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 what have I done to be here? And <laughs> I, but, like, it's just that like, moment. And then after, and I don't think it, because I've been on a neurodiverse brain, it's quite methodical. Like, my one, one or two poses, is I've been, so I had my speech fully written out. And then I had, cue cards, which I then use for the audition of the speech, but they still had like a lot of detail. I and mean, then I did when I did my PowerPoint, and then I did cue cards of my PowerPoint. Mm. And then to just take things to the whole next level, I basically split out my speech into each slide. So basically, yeah. Yeah. so I just knew <laughs> on like slide one what, what was in about. each sec and yeah. then. I my death was, just has different types of paper just all over and so it's like so like, how how can you soak it in was like I, I just need that step-by-step process because like, when I know this slide I know I'm going to be talking about this and when I did my rehearsal like, I only got like two people who were close to me to like check it through and like i, I used to get a random person just to come in and i like, just check it just to give a fresh perspective mm. and when i did it to my team my line manager was literally like what the hell I was like this is I was like did you write all, all, all of this I was like yeah and just literally just I was like, she's like how long did it to you She was like yeah just a bit so i just like, she was like and then I did my whole team run through. So I was like, I'm not, you can't use like notes. And I are like, you didn't have notes though. I was like, "But to me mentally, my presentation was my notes. Mm. So I, and then, when I came out, like I, like, I came out to my phone. Like my phone was just crazy. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I was like, you didn't have notes. It's like, to me my notes is that tiny little monitor, like the certain mm. keywords. But it was just such a crazy experience. And like when I've done press since, all my nerves have just gone. Like, literally, my yeah. TEDx data has cured my, <laughs> my stage nerves. <laughs> literally.
1: It's definitely one of the biggest stages. Like, I think if you can talk on the TEDx stage, most stages are going to feel so easy. <laughs> and like,
0: two days later, was, like, doing this TV thing. Uh, and um, it was at like 1 a.m., like, going to the studio. Normally, would be so nervous, like, going live to the studio. It was it was this? Uh, was this messaging? My PR person just going, I'm quite scared about something, but I don't feel nervous. <laughs> she was like, don't worry. That last minute, studio nerves who hit you was, like, <laughs> yeah, they came in a lot before, like, it's weird how it's like, it's just, like, it's sort of just, it was, it was like you've had all your nerves done now, and <laughs> but what I loved was some of the quotes that you said in your speech, do you mind just sharing, like, some of, some of the quotes that you said?
1: Yeah, um, all of them, or, because I know that you liked my ones as well, so did you yeah. want me to share... Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you a few that's in there. So Maya Angelou says, um, people will remember, people won't remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. Uh, one of my other quotes is we beat imposter syndrome when we shift our attention from self to service. I also say that action precedes confidence, which we talked about earlier on um what's another one uh I think there was one by so the stuff that I didn't want to memorize I put in my slides (laughs) (laughs) I was like I don't even need to memorize this part. um I know that there was another one with Tony Robbins um there was a I think there was another one by Lewis Cass um I'm trying to think what they were now I feel like <laughs> I was such a blur. I can also send you my presentation yeah. if you didn't yeah. have a look Amazing. at, if you wanted to have a look at those slides that I used. Um, but pretty much, you know, the five things with conscious sales that I talk about, I pretty much used a quote for every single person. Yeah. Um, oh, one of the quotes, I think it might've been the lowest cast one. It was, um, oh, No, it's gone. No idea. (laughs) This is a secret to presenting. Whatever you don't want to memorize, put in your presentation.
0: (laughs) So my my bigger, like, the quotes, like, I I just knew that I needed that on my presentation. Some of like, the statistics, I thought my nerves would mess up those statistics. I thought...
1: statistics. Yeah, that's definitely going on
0: the slide. Yeah. So So if I say it wrong, it's definitely (laughs) behind me. A lot of people know what it is
1: oh I remembered one Henry Ford sometimes I get this one wrong but it's whether you think you can't whether you think you can or you think you can't you are right
0: yeah that's so true and we we all know how far we can push ourselves and I think we all we all know how far we can really push ourselves as well and no matter what people say we know what's best for us so nina Mm. it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i've got one last question to run out the episode if you could give three pieces (laughs) of advice to someone who stammers but also three pieces of advice to someone who doesn't stammer what would they be
1: Mm. i would say it's the same advice for both sorts of people yeah Uh, because you know the topic of embracing your imperfections i think um appeals to everybody if if we're not oh I'm so perfect I have everything figured out (laughs) which I'm really yet to meet someone and resonate with someone who thinks that way (laughs) Uh, the first thing is how can you learn to embrace all of you and love all of you because regardless of if you have a stemmer or you don't have a stemmer the people in your life that truly matter aren't going to care about the things that you don't like about yourself or that you don't love about yourself or that you haven't accepted or embraced about yourself because it's part of what makes you, you. Yeah. The other piece of advice is how can you continue to surround yourself with people who can love you rather than judge you? Because I think there's always going to be people in the world that judge. But when we can surround ourselves with a supportive tribe, with supportive friends, with supportive loved ones, then it doesn't matter what anyone else has to say because we have the core cool people in our life that cheer us on. And the third piece of advice that I would say for for your audience who stammer and who don't stammer is how can you share more of yourself with the world? And I think that the more we embrace our imperfections, the more that we learn to love all of who we are, the more we feel safe and okay to be able to share who we are with the world and sometimes that's through a business sometimes it's through sharing your voice sometimes it, it's through getting on stage or starting a podcast and it could just be you going outside more you networking more you going and pursuing that dream that you've wanted to do for so long whatever it is how can you just express more of who you are
0: oh that is absolutely amazing and then what fantastic advice to round up the episodes and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you and thank you so much for joining me today
1: thank you for having me thanks everyone
0: that's great. so thank you so much this is for listening to this episode today with Nina as I mentioned before we've got some really exciting guests coming on but also a very exciting event that could be happening but you have to wait and see what happens with that I've included a link to mine and Nina's today's talk where you can watch us, but also included a link to Nina's course and we'll include the discount as well. And remember, we're on Instagram and Twitter where we post our latest episodes and facts, but also, we also are on TikTok where we share advice and everyday situations. And if you remember to join our stomach Stories community on Facebook where you can talk to like-minded people who stumble from all over the world. So see you next time in two weeks. Bye.